Life Imprints Podcast, legacy stories that live beyond. Turn up the volume on today's riveting story with your host, Kenny Mock at KennyMock.com and leave your life imprint with your legacy story. Hey everybody, uh, I'm excited today because I'm talking with Vince Emmett and uh, I am looking so forward to, to hearing uh, his story. He's, um, he's obviously scored a lot of other people's stories, but uh, today I want to talk a little bit about him and I want to share a little bit about my own because story is, is important. You know, if you're going to score, I guess, uh, a nice music, you want to know the story, right? That's right. Mine, my story came from 1733. My great-great-great-grandfather, six time, got on a boat. Most of the people were Lutheran families. Mm-hmm. His family only had enough ticket for one. Mm-hmm. And so he left. And he came across the uh, ocean for 90 days. It was a horrible, horrible trip. And, and during, that, during that uh, time, people died. Yeah. And uh, so he finally gets to America. And uh, so uh, Unbelievable. He, he lands, then he starts heading out to Virginia. He gets there. He has a family. And I guess what I'm saying, that, that was a risk, right? Right. And right. you obviously uh, understand risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being in the music <laughs> business. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a Especially rhetorical days, joke. That's exactly right. Yeah, but mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of leads me into, to, though, your story in that a lot of people have talent, mm-hmm. but they don't make it. Right. Now, I, I came from a musical family and, and all that right. stuff. And, but something happens special to somebody and mm. and I don't know what that specialness was in your in your situation but you know what, what what's a little bit about your story at least we can start there you know in, in the music area. wow that's uh, you know I think I'm at a time in life having done this for a while that I'm actually thinking about that a lot lately how did I get here <laughs> what is it what have I been doing all these years and I think uh, we were talking earlier when you have children, everything changes. You start to look at life through them and going, my mom and dad actually, we li- we're out here in the woods as you know, and my mom and dad live up on the hill. Okay. Just across the creek and uh, they're in their mid eighties. And, and so I get to walk up there every day and talk to the two people that fed their life into mine. And it really is embarrassing to say that it's taking me, it took me a long, long time to understand that where I am, what I'm doing, ever since the moment that they sacrificed their life for me, those guitar lessons, mm-hmm. buying that orange guitar that cost a fortune back that Christmas present, yeah. you know, my first electric guitar, and and what they sacrificed all along the way, that that gave me confidence to make those first steps. But it's a it's a thread. It's still the same journey I'm on today. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad fed into me. That's why I'm doing what I do today. And it took me many years of traveling once I got on the road and started meeting other people to find out, well, not everybody grew up in a family like that. Mm. And it, that was a shock to me. And slowly, it, it <laughs> sinks into that, that kid going, I grew up in a privilege. I grew up 
and have a heritage of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Honing your craft, and you know, that takes a lot of hours mm-hmm. that, that people, you know, outside of music don't don't even understand or appreciate, but people in music right. do. But still, you know, I, I know Keith Thomas is a, is a friend, and, and he, yes. he, you get this. He he would tell me you know, he spent time with with the drums. He even ate there at the drums, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and, and mom feed them, you know. It's like he's like, right. okay, I, I may be able to get a bite there. I, is it the same way with you, Vince? Was it was it like? It was I, an I, obsession. I, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't stop. I mean, once I heard actually once an uncle gave my dad brought home a guitar to work on. A friend of his at work said, "Can you fix this?" And he had a wood shop and and. So there was a guitar in our house, and out in the wood shop anyway, and I'm watching my dad work on this, and he strings it up. Never told me anything about being able to play it, and he tuned it, and he hit a G chord, and I went, well, when were you going to tell me you'd do that? I mean, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen you do. You know, cause we were always hunting and fishing and stuff. It's like, wow, that's a G chord. And he says, well, your grandfather was a really good player. And so it was soon after that that an uncle gave me... How old were you? Eight. Wow. Seven and a half. And soon after that, an uncle gave me these two LPs. And I remember the yellow label. And in fact, I just found them at Mom's house, and, and I have them here now. And it had Johnny Cash and Hank Williams Sr. And it had uh, Patsy Cline and this mesmerizing music. And I would just pick the needle up and go you know, Folsom Prison Blues and play it again and again. And I don't know if it was an escape or whether it was, um, um, I was being mesmerized, but I had found some kind of a home. Mm. And I, you know, my mom said, you tuned your, you tuned your guitar for the first five years. <laughs> and then it was guitar lessons right away and on TV and radio with a little band. Where were you raised? Champaign, Illinois. Champaign, Illinois. Right in the middle of corn and beans. <laughs> Not necessarily your music, music mecca, right? No. Uh, luckily, we were, I grew up in Muhammad, Illinois, in, which is nine miles from Champaign. And Champaign is a cultural mecca in the middle of corn and beans. The University of Illinois is there. Yeah. And so it was uh, a place to go find musical culture. Otherwise, it was just that LP is all I had. That and Chad Atkins records. But uh, I did find a lot there lessons and classical music and so on and so forth so early influences that you had you've t- shared some but you know people you actually started saying yeah. i want to hang out with you and think of that thing or it was a well it was a very unusual uh, again it's my mom and dad feeding into me there was a gr- other they found another group of young people that could play and sing and we were all between nine and 10, 10 and a half. And somebody had the idea, well, why don't they start a band? And so there was a girl that could sing, like Tammy Wynette. If you can imagine a girl this tall, <laughs> nine years old, that had Tammy Wynette's voice, but she did. And we started a band, and we learned songs, and pretty soon, we're on a weekly Saturday morning TV show. And we're playing at the State Fair, and we have a van that has our name on it, The Reverbs. Okay. And we dressed alike, and we're in show business, and there wasn't a teenager in the group yet. Wow. And, and we were working. <laughs> we were working every weekend, and then I was going to school, you know, 6th, 7th grade, 
with a pocket full of money on Monday. I, I was, want to hang out with Vince. I was making money. I was making money. And I always had money. And you know, my friends were going, where do you get this money? I was like, well, I have this gig on the weekend. <laughs> and it was really never stopped from that point. It was two live radio shows and a TV show every week. And then the other gigs that went with it. Again, along the way, there were these mentors. The TV show was a was a wonderful man named Marvin Lee, and he had a music store where I bought my, you know, my dad bought my guitar, and he had that TV show, and he would mentor young people, and that's where Allison Krauss started. So we're on the same TV show that she started in Champaign, Illinois. But if it wasn't for those people, I look mm -hmm. back now, going, you know, those were huge doors. You know, I remember the first time the lights came on in the TV studio, and so by the time I was 20, I'd been doing that. For, it gives you confidence. Sure. Yeah. Well, how, how influential was the church in your upbringing? And all? Incredible. I mean, I thought we actually lived in the church building by the time I was 14, because my mom had us in church all the time. And back then it was <laughs> me too, brother. It was constant. Yeah. And it was uh you know, of course it was Sunday morning. Oh, but yeah. my parents got there early and they helped do set up and we morning vacuuming and, and Saturday we would go before to help clean yeah. the church and and then it was stay after and they would talk endlessly <laughs> and then there was youth group and there was Sunday night church uh -huh. and then there was Wednesday and then there was something on Saturday morning. It was what kind of church is this? Non-denominational Christian okay. church, okay. right down the middle of the road. Okay. Uh, but we were constantly in church. And then that group that I was telling you about, the young group, after became teenagers and, and a couple older members came in, there was a contingent in that group that wanted, and you could back then, play nightclubs. You know, little kids could play <laughs> nightclubs. It was a rougher time. And... Uh, and my mom and dad made the decision, which was devastating to me at the time, that you will not be playing at the, which now I think back, was it the honky wasn't that hard? Yeah, at 13, <laughs> at 12, you'll not be playing at a honky tonk. But the other kids did. A lot of them did. Mm -hmm. And then my gig was over. And I thought, well, this, you know, 12 years old, I'm washed up. I wonder if there's retirement. You know, do I collect a Where's pension? Where's my money? Yeah. Where's my money? <laughs> and and so there was wow. this period of time there were there was nothing. What'd you do? I was distraught. I I had become uh, accustomed to the attention, <laughs> you know. And so at home, when you pl stop playing a song, no one claps. And I was enjoying that on the weekends, getting up and wearing my Johnny Cash boots and yeah. being a little bit of him f for the on the weekend. And it was over. And again, another amazing human being that God, you know, God puts in your life. Mm. A pastor named Phil Hansen at the, our home church, we had a new pastor, and he was a cutting edge pastor at the time. He played guitar. And I grew up in a church where there was an organ and there was a piano. <laughs> yeah. And he played guitar, and he took me under his wing, and he would have me up on the platform playing along, and occasionally we would do a song together. And then the running joke in my family is then I was in a girls' trio for a while. <laughs> I did spend time in a girls' trio, but it was three girls and me and, uh, and a bass player. And we traveled around to churches, and that was the beginning of 
plane in church, oh. and uh, that was a whole different road. Were you, were you traveling there? We traveled in Illinois, and we played around. Okay. And then my mom and dad started, uh, was helping to start a new Christian church in our hometown in Muhammad that didn't have one. And I didn't know that there was a musical group from Lexington, Kentucky coming through town. And I called the Gospel Couriers, and my mom had volunteered on purpose. Again, another thing that these amazing people originally did. To have that group, after they performed at our, we were meeting in a high school, to um, come to our house and eat. And so the entire group and their bus parks out front, and I, of course, I'm at the age, there's a bus or a motorhome, I didn't care what it was, could have been a horse-drawn carriage. They had something that would take them away from this town. And, but they had records, and they, had, and they were dynamic when they performed, and they had harmony, and they were mm. great. And uh, they were funny to hang out with. And they, of course, were traveling guys. They had stories, and they were witty and funny. And so they see my guitar. And, and another amazing human being, J.D. Miller, which has written songs with Bill Gaither, and he's got Grammys, and he's, you know, I met him way back then. Mm. He goes, can you play those records that you've got there? I had a George Benson record at the time. He goes, let me hear you play along, and I played. And at the end of the song, he goes, what are you doing this summer? I go, I don't know. He goes, you want to go on the road? Yes. How old? Uh, 14. Oh, wow. So four and a half. No one to big, big lull. Yeah. No, no one to big lull. On the road, that summer, oh my gosh, I'm with this group and they, you know, they were dynamic and and it was but a safe place too. And we were playing these awesome churches and Mm. occasionally an outdoor festival or something and occasionally with some other bigger groups like the Stamps Quartet and the Oak Ridge Boys and the Happy Goodman family and those types of Southern Gospel groups. And I loved it, Mm. I loved it. And as soon as mom and dad would let me, you know, I graduated and I moved to Lexington, Kentucky, where they were based from, and I joined that group. Mm. And I was very happy traveling the country. (laughs) Mom said I would come home with dirty laundry, starving. (laughs) I would drop the laundry. I would eat, sleep for two days, get up, clean laundry, and hit the road again. And very happy. How long did that happen? <laughs> right. You know, that went on for a long time. Your story with music is is amazing, and there's no question. And um, if people want to want to know more about Vince, go go to go to his sites and and look at all the great things he. We could go on for for days talking about all the the great things you know that he's been involved in. But there's something else, a passion about your life, and you've talked a little bit, uh, you know, with us uh, earlier today. Mm -hmm. I want to know, what is the passion, what is the imprint that you feel like God's kind of put in there with with, uh, your your family and your kids? And kind of just take us down that. that Um, You know, I'm so very fortunate that uh, the kind of work that I do, uh, I made a decision way back in the days we were just talking about and uh, a little bit ago, the traveling days, you know, to where it was, it was about me, you know. I got used to people clapping for me. That's, it, you know, that was the uh, sound I had on my alarm clock was applause. You know, it's the only way I could get out of bed. 
but I, I, um, I had traveled so much that when offers came in, I had a record deal for a while with Electra Asylum and had a rock band that traveled my own, you know, music that I'd written and co-written with the lead singer. And that was another dream. But I, I, by the time that faded and I was getting offers to play with well-known country artists, I had never done that kind of thing to where I was playing someone else's music. And I'd seen the world and traveled. You know, I'd done that. And it was easy. Financially, it wasn't easy, but it was easy to say no to more travel, which is can be a dangerous thing. It's the risk-reward, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. It's that the plane is great. I'd learned that young. It's the 23 hours a day stuck in a bus <laughs> in that hotel. Those are the dangerous hours. <laughs> yeah. and And so... God took me down another path and it through Chris Christopherson and, and Chris Cooper and Patricia Clarkson and a wonderful uh, writer and director in Kentucky, Robbie Henson. I was introduced to filmmaking and putting music to a story. Mm. And that changed. That was the, the same kind of moment as hearing Johnny Cash the first time. It was like, whoa, what is this? Epiphany. You can do this? This is great. Well, and that was 21 years ago, and it's been a climb into the film world. So I can work in one spot, and I can see my girls across the property here. I can see them in the morning, spend time with them. And that's where I am now, a life that's closer to them. And, and, and those girls coming into my life, of course, kids change everything. And that is you know, the groove that I'm in now is they are now a part of this story and it's no longer just about me. <laughs> um, That's challenging. It's so, very it? challenging. But the balance. It, the balance. We, we, Brenda and I knew that we would always adopt. We tried to have kids. It didn't happen. We didn't want to go down medical, technical routes and tax her body that way, and we did, so we thought, well, what are we waiting on? And and um, we had gone on a few mission trips to Ethiopia. We'd fallen in love there. We thought, well, why not? Mm. And so we then you could request, and we we just wanted twin girls, and and it happened. Mm. And um, that process was as a long process, and about this much paperwork. But it's not easy. Of, it's not easy. It's not easy in any way, shape, or form, but it is true. They are b born in your heart, and mm. and there is an adjustment period. They, they come, and then, and then they're here, and they have these amazing stories, and it starts to affect the way I look at everything. Wow. In what way? Well, I, you know, on top of it not being about me anymore, but a, it more in that, I wonder what they think about what I do. And I wonder about the imprint that I would leave mm. on them. What, if, what am I doing daily? And when you ask yourself that question, even if you call yourself an artist, art becomes a different thing then. Um, the artistic project becomes them. It's mm. these, these kids.
because you it's the most um how do you even say it it is the most elegant series of mistakes i've ever experienced <laughs> parenting it is elegant mistakes all right, the time really. and sometimes not so elegant and you try and you fail and you try again and occasionally you'll see a little success <laughs> <laughs> and it's those successes and their personalities when they start to get older and you see a little bit of yourself in there and you see a lot of God in there and you see a whole bunch of Brenda in there that you start to realize that the people that fed into me sacrificed their entire lives to feed into me. They took whatever plan that they had and they put it on major hold for me mm. and you still have to make a living you still have to and you find excitement in your work like I'm excited about the three films that are <laughs> past due right now <laughs> but um, nothing comes close mm. to when you get that hug that you didn't ask for mm. or that you you know beg for that you actually get a hug or Berkey will come up she's five and a half Yesterday, I've adjusted her seat three times. She wrapped around that thing. Oh, yeah. Got me totally wrapped <laughs> I've stopped whatever I'm doing and adjust that seat on that bike, but she just comes up so we can work on that seat. Up a little bit. No, Dad, I think you're going down a little bit. And she's back in 20 minutes. Up a little bit. But when she drives down the driveway, I go, Berkey, I love you. Mm. And the way that she says, I love you, mm. that's the project. Yeah, that's the project, and everything else is to support that. Wow, and it's a humbling existence. <laughs> wow, daily. Yeah, daily, daily. Yeah, it's a, and there's such impressionable age age yeah. right now, right? Mm -hmm. Very spirited. Yeah, uh, they're their own people, but it is a big time for impression, and they're watching. Yeah, they're watching every way that you react, and that is the most amazing part of it. It's like a friend of mine, he he prays uh, every day. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. Mm. And that they're gifts, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're part of those gifts. They are. And they are. So recognizing that. They have stories that are incredible. We could get into that sometime. But the fact that, you know, the girls almost died in Ethiopia and that Stella needed a surgery and, and uh, the, the reason that they're even in our home is that their mother couldn't feed them anymore and we got to meet her and now we are friends with her and, mm. and helping that family to all the sisters and aunts to get through school and so we can get back there and get them a business started and so Stella and Eva can go back someday and be a part of their lives. But that whole process right there is just another layer. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, obviously you can see um, Vince and his wife, how much they love their children. And I, I love that because um, for every Vince there is, unfortunately there's, there's, there's a lot of folks that, that don't, commit and don't aren't invested mm -hmm. and so I think this is a great message to people that are watching this they're, they're saying well people don't understand mm -hmm. me and my music or mm -hmm. you know my you know, but you, you you begin to start to figure it out a little bit you know a little go, bit. okay that okay <laughs> there are times when I just gotta shut this light out mm -hmm. and, and be with the kids so yeah yeah that's right I, I think it brings balance into life that God intended in the first place. I 
am a workaholic from a workaholic. <laughs> and now there's balance because they're going, I need you now. Mm. And I'm very thankful for that because I need them. Thank you so much for, for this time. Thank you. And, uh, I, I really appreciate it. You're, you're, you've got an amazing story. And uh, I just, uh, this is why we do what we do. Thank you. Awesome. Life Imprints Podcast. Legacy stories that live beyond. Turn up the volume on today's riveting story with your host, Kenny Mock, at kennymock.com. And leave your life imprint with your legacy story.